Since the dawn of time, mankind has searched for ways to shelter themselves from the elements. Over the centuries, these shelters have evolved from bamboo huts to concrete towers. The last few years, there's been a push to save the planet. Are you ready to embark on a more sustainable lifestyle? Look no further. You're about to enter the adventures of container home living. And now, contractor, radio and TV personality, and your host for Boxcar Universe, Steve Dubell. Hi, I'm Steve Dubell, host of Boxcar Universe, along with my co-host, Mel Alva. And here's what's coming up on this week's edition of Boxcar Universe. We're getting ready for the big Earth Day celebration on April 22nd. Some of our favorite people are here with us to help us go green. Dory Morales from Green Living Magazine, along with Sean LaPointe from Mr. Electric. Ted Turner from Family Promise and Carl Faust from IMS Builders will also be here to get everyone ready for the big event. So let's get started with this week's show. We want to welcome to the show Dory Morales from Green Living Magazine. Dory, how are you today? Hi, Steve. I'm fantastic. Well, Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's so nice to connect with you and Mel. Well, Hi, Dory. Great. We appreciate you being here, taking the time out today to be on the show. And, you know, there are um, a lot of things that we talk about in sustainable uh, lifestyle living here, not just with container homes, but also in, you know, regular lifestyle and the building materials that you put into your home that you use in your, um, you know, whether it be your container, your cave, your cabin, or your home. So we want to make sure that we cover all the bases. But being that we're working, on getting up and, you know, we only have what a little over a month, a month and a half before we get to uh, earth day, which is uh, April 22nd, that we want to be able to touch base on some of these uh, articles that are in green living magazine, but give our listeners a little bit of idea about what is green living magazine all about. Well, green living magazine is an eco-conscious lifestyle magazine. We've been around, um, for 12 years. September will actually be our 13 year anniversary. And, um, we have different categories in the magazine. It's really about lifestyle. So home is a huge, um, area that our readers are really interested in home design, architecture, health and wellness, beauty, travel, sustainable travel, which I don't think a lot of people really think about your foot, your footprint when you're traveling, as well as technology and businesses that are doing good. And then we've got product reviews and we've got a husband and wife that actually used to review products, but now they're actually reviewing experiences. So we're pretty excited about that. We also, um, our, our women's issue is March for um, Women's History Month. And then we do events. Um, we were doing events pre-COVID on a monthly basis, and now we're doing um, events a couple times a year. So we, besides the magazine, obviously, we've got the print magazine, a digital magazine, we've got a social media presence, and then we really connect the eco-conscious community and the business community, as well as um, people just interested in the lifestyle of living a more sustainable life. That's really, it's really important for people to, to be able to uh, really get up to speed on some of those things. Cause a lot of people talk about it, but I don't think they really know uh, 
the nuts and bolts of it, you know, and what really needs to be done and how they can change their lives in doing it. But uh, I think that's important. We want to get into that too, but we also want to get into uh, a little bit of history with uh, Women's History Month. And Mel, you have some information on a very unique individual. Well, I do. And honestly, I think this month will just lend us to kind of talk about uh, maybe a a couple of different women, you know, each week that were on the air. Um, Personally, uh, you know, I would like to talk about somebody in the design architecture field. Um, And, you know, Dory, maybe there is a woman that, you know, maybe has inspired you um, in the past. And it doesn't just have to be about design or construction architecture. It can really be about anything. Um, But today, I just want to bring up uh, Florence Knoll. Um, And I had you do a little bit of research, Steve, before the show, because I wanted to make sure we were all on the same page. And I think, you know, sometimes when you hear that Knoll last name, if you are into uh, design, architecture, furniture, you probably know who that is. Um, but really big in the mid-century modern um, furnishings world, uh, you know, the uh, sarin uh, base, the tulip base, or like Barcelona chairs. If you think about like the modern, mid-century modern um, architecture, you know, she was a, a huge component in that. Um, and then as I was reading about her also, which I didn't know, Um, you know, back uh, when she first got married, she wasn't married that long. And uh, he ended up passing away in a, in a car crash. Um, But she ended up marrying into the Bassett family. So she, she stayed all in the furniture Hmm. (laughs) industry. But um, interesting enough, I, I live in a mid-century modern building. So this is front and center of my life and all of this furniture you know, even in our lobby. And uh, Al Beadle was the architect for our building. Um, So again, all kind of in that same time period. But as a designer, architectural designer, you know, interior designer, we we use plans, you use blueprints, you know, to uh, research, you know, uh, for our clients, and we're showing them, you know, construction drawings or, or space planning. But uh, fun fact, she actually would use the materials for each item that she was placing in a home. So whether that be the fabric, she would have it cut out in the, the shape of the sofa. Or if it was wood for the table, it would, you know, it would be a piece of wood. It was almost, it almost looks like a felt board that she would use. And uh, she liked to call her furnishings and, you know, the furniture and her designs, the meat and potatoes, which I think is is kind of cute. So. Anyway, just wanted to give a shout out um, to her. She did pass away in 2019, but obviously her designs will live on forever. You know, it's pretty unique that uh, in, in Mel, in back in the day when when she was working, obviously back and she lived to be 101. But let's just say we go back 50 years. How important was design at that time? Let's just say, for instance, like in the mid '60s or early '70s, was it as important as in in the way it's it, it's viewed today? I would say absolutely. Um, you know, if anything, you know, think about you know women trying to 
make a name for ourselves in this world. And in even today, it's still not easy. It's definitely easier, but it's not easy. And and I like to say, you know, being an architectural interior designer, we're still in a man's world and and with all due respect to all the men out there. And, and I get it. It's just, it's definitely harder for us. Um, so I can't imagine what it was like for her back in that time frame where, you know, most women were stay-at-home moms and wives and didn't really work. And she was not having it. You know, she's an architect. She wanted to, to do her thing. And, and I just think it's so impressive, you know, to meet women like that. And, um, you know, you see these women today and, and there was a woman that I came across, she's 96 years old and she still lives on her own. And she has lots of properties that she owns and was an attorney and, I mean, my goodness, I just can't believe it that they're still going. And that's very inspirational to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, any anyone that goes out and uh, basically, as you get up in age, is staying that active uh, in anything in their field. In, and obviously, it must have been a passion that she loved very much uh, for both both people is just uh, amazing. Exactly. Amazing. You know, and, uh, you know, in going taking a look at that too. One of the other gentlemen that I always looked up to that was getting up in age was uh, a gentleman who actually was one of the owners of uh, Keiko Roofing. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, and he was uh, Monty Stoller. He was my co-host on when we did some TV several years ago too. I mean, and he was, he was up in his mid eighties and he was doing TV with me. He's be, he'd be working three days a week um, with his other partners at Keiko Roofing. A couple of other days, he's out with his with his wife and his family, and he's playing golf. I mean, I, and I just hope you know we I get up that that old that we can be just as active and passionate as all these people we're talking about. Oh, absolutely! Just pretty amazing. You don't use it, you lose it. That's right, and you got to keep using it. <laughs> Dory, what about you? Is there is there anybody that is coming to mind that's inspirational to you? for Women's History Month? Well, first and foremost, since we're um, talking about um, people that have lived longer lives, I'd have to do a shout out to my husband's grandmother, who is 103 and lives on her own and um, is fantastic. So she's an incredible inspiration. And um, I would say Tiffany Halprin, she's a local landscape architect and kind of works um, in the commercial world in um, sustainable landscape architecture. And then also Marlene Amerzian, Amerzian. she has, um, she's a female architect that does a lot with sustainable design. So I feel like they're huge female thought leaders on a local basis. And then what's noticing as you were mentioning about Florence Knoll, I don't know if Noel is her company that um, designs furniture, but they have a lot going on in terms of sustainable design and um, FSC furniture, and they're very um, committed to sustainable design, which is kind of awesome as well. It It is, actually. It's pretty amazing. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have more green living with Dory Morales from Green Living Magazine, and uh, a lot of other stuff coming your way right here on Boxcar Universe.
Alva with Alva Interiors and co-host of Boxcar Universe. As a professional interior designer with over 22 years experience, I'm excited to bring my knowledge to the Boxcar Universe show. As a full-service interior design studio, we see your designs from the conceptual phase through to the styling and furnishing of your home. At Alva Interiors, our team approaches every design project with a fashion-meets-design sense to execute timeless interiors, style that makes a statement. You can find us on the web at alvainteriorsaz.com, on Facebook at Alva Interiors AZ, and on Instagram at Alva Interiors. And we are back, and you're listening to Boxcar Universe right here from the beautiful and palacious Boxcar Studios here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. And we want to continue our discussion with uh, Dory Morales from Green Living Magazine. And Dory, you know, one of the things that we talked about uh, during the break is something that, you know, I don't think a lot of people probably... I had probably thought about, but you know, a lot of, uh, attention has been giving to, uh, last couple of years about, you know, building things out of 3d printers. And one of the things that you brought up, which was very interesting was the, uh, Habitat for Humanity and, uh, your coverage of their first 3d printed home in Arizona, which I think was just, uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, it was an awesome article, and it was an amazing um, collaboration between Candelaria Architecture Firm as well as Habitat for Humanity, and they have tons of other partners within Arizona and nationwide, but they built um, the first 3D printed home, and it's in Tempe, and it you know, what's really important from a green living perspective is there's less waste and um, and then lower energy efficiency and just great things. Because as of right now in Tempe, it's really hard for people to afford to be able to live there. And it makes um, affordable housing um, more um, easy for people living in Tempe. So. And I think one of the things that was unique when people think about, you know, building things and with a 3d printer, when you think about what uh, people should go on and look up that uh, article, green living uh, mag.com forward slash habitat for your amenity. And um, you could just Google the 3d printed home and the information, what, what it does, the actually equipment is pretty amazing where the printer will actually and when you talk about it, we'll, we'll stamp out cemented walls in the complete design of the home. And I think that is just, uh, when you think about it, from, you know, traditional building is really, I, I wouldn't call it science fiction, but it's surely futuristic. Definitely. And they used um, an engineering firm out of Germany called Perry, who brought in the 3D printer. And then there was a 3D um printing construction company that worked with them on the project as well. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, but, uh, it, it obviously is the wave of the future. And I'm sure the one in, uh, Tempe will only be one of many. 
And it's, it's amazing how different municipalities are looking at doing different types of construction to have, you know, to make housing more affordable, you know, between tiny homes, container homes, um, you know, 3D printer homes. I mean, we're, it's all about trying to, to balance out where the economy is going, especially with the cost of materials that, you know, over the last two years or so, uh, with the uh, supply shortage and everything else, the pricing has just gone up out of sight. So it's good to see that people are taking uh, into a, taking into account all of this going on and searching for better ways and more affordable ways of creating different types of housing. Now, one of the things that we also want to talk about, uh, Dory, is that other article that in your magazine regarding, um, you know, uh, is it affordable? to do a tiny home here in Arizona. Building yeah, we did an article on some of the different regulations and making it more affordable to build tiny homes in Arizona. And um, we got a lot of positive feedback from that article as well. And then the other article that we featured is Zenny Home, which are actually shipping containers. And it is... Um, the previous Senator Bob Worsley actually um, created, this is one of his last entrepreneurial um, efforts um, that he's doing, but he worked with the Navajo generating station up in Page, Arizona, and he turned it into the manufacturing plant for these shipping homes. And they're doing a 91 or 90 unit apartment homes in downtown Tempe, but they're also doing subdivisions as well. And it's basically, you bring your clothes and your towels and you have everything you need in that shipping container and rooms turn into different rooms. So it's kind of exciting. It's the home of the future, as they say. Absolutely. And you said that was located up in Page? They are manufacturing out of Page, Arizona, and they put over 100 Native Americans back to work, which is a beautiful thing as well. Oh, that's absolutely, that's absolutely a great thing. Not to mention the homes would be ideal for uh, a lot of different reservations throughout Arizona and the Southwest. Definitely. That would definitely be helping. And if you look that up for all our listeners, if you want to look, look up what we're talking about, you could look it up under zennihome.com. That's Z is in zebra, E-N-N-I, the word home, H-O-M-E.com. And they're just, you know, they've, they've got some models there. You know, 320 square feet is, uh, is a basically 8 by 40 unit, 8 foot wide, 40 foot long, 10 foot high. It's for one to two people they have for $90,000. And then also, uh, they have other ones where you, like we've, Mel and I have talked about in, uh, in earlier shows where they combine containers and they could make one for 640 square feet. So there are a lot of different people doing a lot of different things with this, which is just simply amazing with, um, the designs and the know-how that is, is growing. And I think what's happening is the people that are building containers obviously are finding better ways of uh, keeping the cost down on some of the different ways that they they build them from the inside. And people, and we were talking about last week, well, you know, insulation is one big thing that uh, there are several different ways to insulate a container both inside and out. 
So um, that's why I say we try and bring all phases and all information here to uh, keep our listeners up to date so they can make viable choices when they think about building a, a container home or, or, or just going out looking for a tiny home. So it's, it's very important. But uh, we're going to take a short... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dory. I was just going to say, it was a cover story in the magazine, so they could actually Google Zenny Home and Green Living Magazine as well. Okay. So. Great. Okay. Thank you for that. All right. We're going to take a short break when we come back. Stardust Building Supplies is your home improvement thrift store. Find salvaged and gently used cabinetry, doors, windows, appliances, lighting, plumbing, and much more. Save money, be green, and support the community. Shop and donate at Star Building Supplies 3 Valley locations. For more info, visit stardustbuilding.org. have the CEO from a great uh, organization here in the Valley of the Sun called Family Promise. And we're going to be talking with uh, Ted about his organization and what he's going to be doing in the community with uh, other, none other than shipping container homes. And we're going to be getting into that in a new community that's going to be being developed. And, uh, with our resident builder, Carl Faust is here from IMS Builders and Affordable Homes. And uh, we're going to be talking with them in a few minutes. But we want to share with you, um, you know, we all do our segment of uh, Mel and Steve on the street. And uh, we're actually going to be on uh, streets real soon, but not here in the Valley <laughs> of the Sun. <laughs> yes. Uh, Las Vegas. Las Vegas. And we're, and it's, it, well, you know, everybody says, oh, you're going to Vegas. Well, what's, well, we're going for business and we've got a lot of ground to cover while we're there. And especially Mel is going there for a few more days than I am. And she's going to be visiting a cup. You know, why is it that they put all these events all in the same week? Do they think we can just kind of like clone ourselves to go to each and every one, or we just have to pick and choose? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it it's kind of convenient in in one sense because you get to to hit all the the great uh, booths in two separate locations. Um but I do remember when it was uh, you know, one week was the design furniture convention and then the following week was the builder show and then KBiz and I would be in Vegas for two weeks solid. And, you know, I'm a mom and that, that's a lot. I run a business that's and, a uh, it was a lot of time away or whether it was my employees and it, it was just too much. So I, I appreciate that they do it all in the same week. It's a lot. Uh, the thing is, is they, you know, the market's going to close at five. So does the builder show. And so you really have to kind of pick and choose and, you know, for us designers, if we're taking CEU classes, I mean, that that takes up a portion of the day. Or if you're outsourcing materials and furnishings and things like that for a client, it it can be um, quite daunting. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I do go to Vegas twice a year, pretty much every year uh, for both of the markets. But it's really just for business. I try to get a show in 
occasionally. And uh, I did, you know, I did fly up just to see Adele uh, on her opening night, of course. that And she came back yeah. on the plane beaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was life-changing. Um, absolutely. I waited since January, you That's know, right. last year to see her. So I really don't go to Vegas other than for work, but I try to get a show in while I'm there. Why not? <laughs> kind of need a little break in, you know, all that Have walk. Have you been to Fremont Street? <laughs> I've, no, no, I haven't you been. You don't to, want to no, go. <laughs> no, I haven't been to, Fre- I've been to the Strip, but I haven't been to Fremont. I yeah. may have driven by it, but, you know, well. but we've got a lot of things to do. We've got to be doing that. We're going to be going to a lot of these different events up there. Plus, we're going to be talking to our people. You know, we Mel and I are actually working with the Phoenix Police Department and the Phoenix Dive Team. And a lot of you people may not know that Phoenix Police Department, they have a dive team where they have search and rescue. Okay. And I happened to be down there the other day talking with one of the gentlemen, uh, getting some more information because they would like us to uh, facilitate a container pool for their organization. And uh, we're going to be working with them on that. So there are plenty of people, uh, you know, involved in that and looking forward to it. In the talking about massive facilities when Mel and I were there, you know, I thought Mel was going to drive out with a SWAT truck, <laughs> but it was so big. But uh, uh, mom of three boys here, just, uh, you know, disclaimer, it was yeah. pretty exciting. So, yeah. So we've got, I, I you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be definitely have my walking shoes on when we go up there and uh, we're going to be bringing back a lot of great information that we'll be able to share with all our listeners, you know, and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the amount of information that I think, I don't think a homeowner really understands sometimes like when they look at, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mel, but I think that a lot of homeowners, when you go in as an interior designer that, you know, you, you get what you pay for, like in anything that you do and you can't, put a price on experience, you know, when people think that, oh, well, the designer, you know, this goes here or, or you buy this here. But, you know, like you said, there are classes, you go through this and everything and, and things change. And if you don't stay up on it, you know, you're going to be left behind, right. you know, I mean, maybe, you know, they'll think that you're going to be doing their house in Navajo white <laughs> yeah, all over again, Swiss which coffee. you did like Swiss coffee, um, you know. Or the graying of America, you know, yeah. all those trends that you've gone through. But things keep changing. And if you don't stay up on your, on your, you know, what you do, then you're going to be having a problem. Well, and we've talked about this before where fashion and interiors, they go hand in hand. But, you know, that's the styling aspect of design. But the technical side of design, and I'll just give you a, a little quick, you know, we were just at the, mm. the home show this past weekend. And I normally don't offer any design advice unless I am in contract with a client. But there was um, a gentleman that had approached my booth and, you know, let me know that he had had some issues with designers that he had hired in the past. And very transparent, that's always a red flag, you know, being that either designer or builder coming in and what was the problem? Okay, now I'm the third one. What's happening here? But I decided to go out to their home and meet with them and look over some plans that were given to them by their designers. And instantly I could see a ton of mistakes. And, you know, I'm a master cabinet designer as well. And so looking at those plans, I pointed out a a few different things to them. And I said, you know, this is massive because had your, you know, had you gone through with this project 
and you're giving these plans to your installer, nothing is going to work correctly. And I explained to them why. And, you know, of course, they are now signed clients, which is great. And I'm excited to help them. But if I had not done that, they, you know, seeing why they were upset, I'm I'm glad that that didn't work out. You know, I say, God does everything for a reason, right? And I felt that I needed to go out there to help them. Um, and even, even if they had not signed up as clients, I'm glad that I got to point out those few different things. And when you're looking at construction plans or you're looking at design plans, I think a lot of times people just assume that they are getting an actual designer when you go into a cabinet shop or you're going to a place that is sourcing stuff out. And that's not always the case. You know, you could tell that this person was new at what they were doing. There were no fillers in certain spots. Cabinet doors were going to hit next to certain things. And, and that's alarming because this is an actual company who is selling design um, but I just so happened to to make the decision to go out and meet with them, and I'm and I'm glad that I did, and I I really look forward to helping them. But you know, say, having a designer um, is going to save you an actual designer thousands thousands, thousands of dollars. <laughs> Big mistakes, you know, can be made, and especially, and I'm saying this also not just for retailers, but for builders. A lot of builders or contractors don't have in-house design. It's important to have that you know, to have somebody look over your plans and making sure, you know, basic construction drawings, most of the time they're not detailed when it comes to, you know, your specs and elevations of what needs to go where. And so it's just important for people to think about that. It's worth the money that you're, you're spending on that designer. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I agree 100% because I've seen a lot of, uh, as we used to say in the old days, homeowner horror stories. Right. where builders have gone in. And then the last thing that a homeowner wants to hear is you coming back at them as a contractor. Well, we have a change order for this, or we need a change order for that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, eventually if you hit them with too many change orders, they're going to start thinking about, well, wait a minute, why wasn't this stuff planned out originally? And why are we doing this? And then you start to question your credibility. And that's when the relationship goes south Correct. really fast and you don't want to, you don't want to do that. But, um, we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Ted Taylor. As I said, he's the CEO of family promise here in greater Phoenix, as well as Carl Faust from IMS builders and affordable homes. So I want everybody to stay tuned. You are listening to boxcar universe. You may not believe this, but smart home technology can be traced back to 1975 to the first home automation platform when the X10 was invented. In 48 years, things have come a long way. To truly have a smart home today, the homeowner needs to make a smart decision and call a premier high-tech company. That company is Mythic Sound, Lighting, and Shade. Mythic can simplify your life with home automation, home security, home theater, Lighting and shade plus outdoor and indoor home audio custom designed to fit your lifestyle. For the finest in products and services, visit their website at mythicsls.com. That's M Y T H I C S L S.com 
or call them today for a free consultation at 602-329-4252. That's 602-329-4252. All right, and we are back, and you're listening to Boxcar Universe right here on the uh, Boxcar Universe channel, as they say, right here. And as I said earlier, don't forget, you can catch us on all the different podcast channels, and uh, it's just whether you're on Apple, iHeartRadio, or, you know, the new um, boxcaruniverse.com website. Make sure the latest shows are there, plus all of our archive shows are there from from recently since we started our show last year, as well as uh, the Image Home Improvement Show, which goes back in the day, which was the predecessor to Boxcar Universe. So make sure you check all those out. There's some great information. And uh, we're going to get started with our discussion today. I want to introduce Ted Taylor, who is the CEO of Family Promise here of the greater Phoenix area. And Ted, thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the show with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Tell us a little bit about what Family Promise is. So Family Promise is an emergency shelter for families here in the Phoenix area, but we're a very different kind of shelter. So there are five family shelters uh, here in the Valley. Um, I like to say we're the one that's different than all of them in this way. Most family shelters are large sites where people sleep and eat. Family Promise, conversely, our core model is we shelter in community. So we shelter in churches and synagogues all over the valley. So we have 48 different faith partners, all different faiths, and they provide the overnight bedrooms for our families, and they provide the evening meals and the breakfast and lunch supplies back at our day center. So it's a very different way to provide shelter. So uh, we're what is called an interfaith hospitality network. And we provide all the logistics for that network to work. But I believe with all my heart that this is an inspired model. And what I mean by that is that this is a dual mission model for serving homelessness. Here's what I mean. Instead of just being congregations helping families who've lost their homes, this is about families who've lost their homes serving congregations that want to live out their faith. So we provide shelter a week at a time at each of these congregations all across the valley and have been doing it that way for 23 years here in the valley. That's incredible. Wow. Absolutely. How did that, how did the, how did the, how did it begin? Like, so who had the initial thought of providing uh, help to the community in this way? So it was an interesting story. Karen Olson, who's a dear friend, she lives in Summit, New Jersey, was in a park in New York City helping a family, a a mom by the name of Lily. And she was just helping her with food and discovered that Lily didn't have a place to stay with her and her children, didn't have a place to stay that night. And it really disturbed Karen. And so she went back to her hometown in Summit and uh, called a meeting of the faith community to see if she could build a shelter. And Karen told me personally that in that meeting, in a short time, she figured out she would never build a shelter because what happened is the congregations volunteered to give their space up a week at a time to create a a network of hosting congregations that would each host for a week and then the families would go to the next church for a week and the next church for a week. 
And they created in back in 1984, what was called the first interfaith hospitality network. And it just worked. And I do want to say, and maybe this is the right time to say what makes it work is that families who lose their homes, roughly just to give you some numbers, 84% of which are single mothers with young children, people who lose their home, lose their community. They lose their connections, their work connections, their family connections, their friend connections. Everybody leaves. And so what makes this interfaith hospitality network type of shelter so powerful is it's the love of congregations that's healing these families. So I could tell you we have a wonderful staff and wonderful facilities across this country, but it is the love of congregations that make us who we are. And what they do is they love these children back to health. And if you were to talk to the mothers that we serve uh, across this nation, what you would find is that they'll tell you they can handle homelessness. They're courageous fighters, but they can't stand watching their children go through homelessness. So by these congregations stepping in to heal these children by loving them back to health every day, know their names, know their loves, play with them, it's powerful and it works. Um, I like to say, and I'm just going to mention this last thing, that I think there's a way to witness the miracle that happens in Family Promise every week. And that is that a family stays. We have four families at every faith congregation that we go to for the, for the week. And on Sunday morning, the last day that that family will ever be at that congregation, because our average congregation hosts every three months, and our average family is only in five weeks. So on Sunday morning, everybody knows what's happening that day. And that is that it is likely the volunteers at the congregation and the families will never, ever see each other again. And the tears between the volunteers at the congregations and our families, I believe, is the miracle of family promise. You see, I believe with all my heart that this is a love immersion program that the way we're healing families across this valley is with love. And that model is of 25% the cost of traditional shelter because yeah. the congregations provide the food and shelter. It is beautiful in the way it works. The families love it when they're in it. And very few people know about it. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it here on the show today, but that's what makes Family Promise so different in the way we provide shelter. And then one final thing, you would never know this if you didn't talk about, if we didn't talk about this. Today, Family Promise is the largest shelter in the United States of America by far. We have over 7,000 congregations doing this across the nation. Last year, we rescued 123,000 people this way. So this is no small thing. It's a beautiful thing that's happening all over this country, solving homelessness by partnering with the community. You know, and not to make light of the great work that you just described that you do, but the government should hear about this. And I mean, I mean, it's so, it's so life-changing what you're saying, but the government turns around and, you know, they, well, let's put a building up here or let's put, put the people in here. And it's like, just put them in a building so that he can have a place to sleep. You're healing families from, from the inside out, Amen. which is just, it's just incredible. And like you say, it is life changing. So when they get through the, the different weeks that they're there, mm -hmm. 
have you spoken? I'm sure you probably have spoken to people from when they started the program to when they have, they, they have basically healed. Yes. Okay. To mm-hmm. the end comments. Sure. Of course. Um, I mean, let's be really clear about the goal. Our goal is sustainable housing. So we teach families how to manage cash. We teach them how to get wraparound services so they're protected, their children are protected in the event that they were to fall back into homelessness. Uh, We get people back on the horse, which is employment. So we're all about work. We're a rigorous program. So if you want to sit around, it's not at Family Promise. We're rigorous. But we graduate 70% of our families successfully. So let's speak to this subject of what do families say? Let me begin with this. Um, Families love that their children feel good at Family Promise. If you were to come into our facilities today or this new development, you're going to find that they're beautiful. They don't feel like shelters. They feel like little villages, little communities with playgrounds and colors, and the kids love it. And that to moms, I'm not a mom, but I can appreciate the role that mothers play in seeing their children feel good again. When families come into us, often those children are acting out. They're out of school. They are um, humiliated, especially if they're in the teen years, they're humiliated. So to bring that back out, take it out of them, that feeling of hopelessness, bring back that you're a good person, that you can have fun again. When they're at the congregations, we ask our volunteers to bring their families to serve our families. And it's kids with kids. And let me tell you a little secret. Kids don't see homelessness. They just see kids. It's so beautiful. So I think the one thing I hear from families the most is gratitude, that somebody can treat them this way, treat them with love and compassion. And then the other piece that I think is an important variable here is we don't push families. We don't pull families. We walk alongside families. And that's also critical. And they know that, that these are good people who've seen the abyss and they don't want to be there anymore. And we're just there to walk alongside them to navigate the challenges of getting back to self-sufficiency. And it works. And I agree with you completely, Stephen, that we need to do more of these kind of solutions in our country. I Absolutely. couldn't agree more. I, I, it, it just, it's, it's a no-brainer. And it's amazing. I mean, Mel, you think, I mean, children growing up, I mean, I know my daughter, how she was when she grew up, but she she had a pretty good life. But, you know, the things that children see and perceive as you grow up are are different. Like I could see like the, the kids are at this facility. They see a lot of kids, but they don't see the like the adult big picture of what's really going on here and how how your organization is actually helping them really become family again, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have that closer unit instead of being pulled and distraught from all these outside forces that life throws at us. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. I got to say, uh, I used to mentor, um, quite a bit, uh, when, you know, uh, young girls and, uh, this was years ago, but I just want to say that I think when you have families that have children that are in those circumstances, these kids are not really kids anymore. Um, they're worrying about where they're going to eat next, where they're going to sleep. They have adult problems. 
they have taken on their parents' responsibilities. I'll never forget uh, the first um, uh, preteen. She was preteen when I started uh, mentoring her. The worries that came from her were adult worries. Mm -hmm. And it broke my heart to see that, you know, what, how is, how's my mom going to pay the light bill? Um, you know, ways of them making money to be able to, you know, take care of their family. And we're talking a 12 year old and that is not the same situation as being homeless, but they were always on the verge of becoming homeless very easily. And it was a mom who escaped an abusive relationship and lost her whole community and uh, was able to get a job, but barely surviving, you know, with her three kids. And, um, you know, I'll never forget of having that feeling. And listen, when I grew up, I didn't have much. And I think that was the reason for me wanting to give back is because you don't have to become, you know, your environment or the circumstance that you were in as a child. You get to become something greater than that. You don't have to be that product of your environment. You know, I remember always hearing that apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, yes, it can. You can make that decision, you know, and especially being a woman, I think that uh, being able to show young girls, you can go to school, you can become something great. You don't have to, you know, depend on anybody else to take care of you. You can do whatever you want. Uh, just, just keep that focus. And I'll tell you that, that really tears at my heart to, to hear you say about the kids being embarrassed because I cannot tell you how accurate that is. Uh, but they take on their worries, you know, and of course they want to stay together as a family unit. If you think about the state getting involved and of course the foster kids that are living in commercial, you know, high rise buildings in downtown, because there is not enough families out there to become foster parents. And, you know, I had looked into that at one point. It's not easy. Uh, it's not an easy process to become a foster parent, especially having three boys, you know, and, and you're taking on these children that, you know, have issues that, you know, maybe they have been abused and that is a big risk for you to take on as your family. But I, I can tell you that um, those moms want their kids to stay with them and there are chances that those kids won't be at times. And that's the thing that I wish that our government could step up and say, hey, we're going to create this housing for your families to stay together because there is an opportunity for them to leave their children or their child could be taken away. But what happens to that parent? That kid doesn't want to leave that that parent, you know. And so I've I've got to see that. And it's uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, so. I mean, it's hard for the because the, the the child doesn't want to, you know, may understand the situation, but they really it doesn't really matter. They want to just be with the parent, right? And just be that way. Chances are, when it's time to call a service professional, you need someone right away. Who can you call for those electrical problems fast? The answer is Mr. Electric, a licensed, bonded, and insured company serving the Valley of the Sun since 2000. 
Some of the residential and commercial services include expert troubleshooting, replacing an outlet, hanging a ceiling fan, or upgrading your electric service, and much more. Rest assured, all work is guaranteed. Call today for your appointment, 480-503-1339. You can find them on the web at phoenixmetro.mrelectric.com. Remember, at Mr. Electric, we have the power to make things better. Right now, we want to introduce and welcome into the show our good friend and sponsor, Sean LaPointe from Mr. Electric. And Sean, how are you doing today? Uh, Steve, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me out. Oh, it's great. I'm glad that you're on the show. And, uh, you know, we're talking about all the good things that you do. But, you know, one of the things that you shared with me um, was a while ago about the charging stations for the um, the Tesla that you have in the EV vehicles that are out there, and then everybody is all jazzed up about. Yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about it too. I have to say, we've been uh, doing quite a few installs, both for uh, residences and for businesses too. Um, we just completed one at a uh, multifamily project, and uh, that went pretty well. And we added a separate meter and a, a dual dual port commercial charging station by ChargePoint. And so we've been certified uh, with that particular manufacturer as well. We're very proud of that. And uh, we got another project very similar to that coming up here as soon as permits are approved. Well, that's, that's really good. Now, when so, somebody goes, uh, you know, decides that they're going to buy an EV, okay? Um, do you think that they, well, obviously you were a perfect example, but you knew that you were going to get an EV, aside from the fact that you own Mr. Electric. Okay. Did the thought of, of, you know, the cost of what it takes to charge your vehicle come into your thoughts at all, or how did that play into your, 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 uh, no, excuse me, your, uh, desire to buy a, an EV vehicles? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I was originally a truck guy, you know, Silverado's for, you know, for a long time. And, uh, when when the uh, the Model Three was offered as kind of an affordable price point for an electric vehicle, me being the techie guy that I am, I I had I, there was no choice in the matter. I just had to jump on it, and it took a it took almost a year and a half to get delivery on that car. And I have to say, I absolutely love that vehicle. Coming from a giant, you know, you know, pickup truck, you know, thing, here I am driving around this Tesla Model Three, and everybody's like, "Well, really? Does that really you know, you really like that?" And the answer is, yeah, I absolutely love this car. Well, yeah, obviously, I mean, it's in, and it's, it's probably something that you would, that wouldn't, you know, go on in, um, a long, long journey with over the road, but it surely works well within the city. When you think about it, um, how many miles can you get out of one charge? So on the particular model that I have, um, it, it, it degrades over time a little bit, but right now I can get about 250 miles on a charge. 
But one thing you got to take into account for is that um, that's like if the wind is perfect, if you're not using your air conditioning, your heating, um, or, or even like doing the uh, you know self-driving modes or autopilot modes, everything that happens in that vehicle takes a little bit of power. So, you know, a realistic mileage, you know, it might say 240, but, you know, it could be, that could be actually 200, maybe even less. And if you put your, got a heavy foot in it and you're going 80 miles an hour, that has a tendency to drop the, drop the range as well. Yeah. I, I, so it's, it's not bad. You know, we, we, um, and you mentioned about going cross country and stuff and, you know, we were, we were thinking about going to Albuquerque a while back and, um, and we kind of had to take a look at where the charging stations were located, you know, public ones. And, uh, we decided that we couldn't make it happen. There wasn't enough, uh, you know, wasn't enough uh, charging stations between here and Albuquerque to 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 safely get there. Yeah, see, that's that, that yeah. is that's only the probably about the only drawback you could think of. Uh, but you know, in and in and around, uh, you know, in, if you do it from the city and don't and don't use it, I mean, from on a daily basis, um, you should be pretty pretty much okay. And I'm sure. Yeah, you, yeah. I've, I think I've only gotten. Uh, you know, figuratively, you know, caught with my pants down only a couple of times where I had to, you know, <laughs> caught with you your know, pants. man, I got to find a place to charge like right now, you know. Sean, I, mean, I have a question for you. Do they sure. offer a portable charger for that? Because I know that uh, we were looking at uh, possibly getting a Tesla as well. And that was my biggest concern is being able to travel, um, you know, not so much across country, but uh, maybe to California and uh, looked like there were plenty of charging stations, um, you know, from Phoenix to, to Los Angeles. But there is. Yeah, they're, they're, that's not an issue. So that's a very common route. And uh, they've definitely made sure that there's plenty of places to stop. As far as a portable charger, I'm really not really aware of anything at the consumer level. Um, you know, what I have seen, like with AAA and stuff, if you're dead on the side of the road, they actually bring a, a gas powered generator. And they plug into that. I have to say that um, that the amount of power it takes to run one of these is pretty extravagant. Um, as an example, um, I have a um, I have a 20 amp 240 volt circuit dedicated in my house, and it takes a good 12 hours to charge that vehicle oh, wow. to get that 240 miles. Wow! Well, wow! So in yeah. in with your daily use um, of it, I mean, how long would you say you go between charges? Um, I'm probably charging, it depends on the, depends on how much, you know, driving around I'm doing, but probably anywhere between, um, every other day is, is pretty, pretty general or maybe once every three days. Um, if I'm going around, you know, a lot, I could be, could be, you know, every night I have a charging station here at the office too. So the charging station here at the office is a 50 amp charger, or actually 60. And, um, and I can get the car vehicle charged in about four hours on that particular charger. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the the installation of possibly your charging uh, unit at your home and what you need to consider and uh, some of the particulars. So this way you can choose the right charger for the right vehicle. And, you know, we talk about Tesla. I think Tesla is kind of like, um, you know, Mel, when we talk about certain things like, like, uh, Kleenex, that the name of it tells you exactly what it is versus, you know, what it actually is. It's not, tissue. it's a tissue, Yeah. you know, but we say Kleenex, everybody knows what it's talking about. So when you say Tesla, Tesla, everybody knows what Tesla is now. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Elon Musk. That's right. That's right. So, okay. You got to take a short break. When we come back, we have more with Sean and you are tuned into 
Boxcar Universe. Hi, I'm Sean with Mr. Electric, and I have a tip to help make your life better. One important reminder is to call a qualified electrician when you have frequent problems with blowing fuses or tripping circuit breakers. And when a circuit breaker trips or a fuse blows, it's indicating that you have a problem with some other part of the circuit. If your breaker trips more than once, you should have a qualified electrician come out and take a look at it. Contrary to what may be acceptable, you really shouldn't try to continuously try to reset the breaker because there may be a problem somewhere else down the circuit and you could be causing a fire hazard. There could be a loose connection or some other form of problem on the circuit, and every time you reset the circuit breaker, it could be causing a spark at the other end. We recommend having a qualified electrician come out and check on the condition of the circuit, and make sure that the circuit does not have any problems, and it could just be a bad breaker also, but you definitely want to have a qualified electrician check that out. To have someone come out from our team may only take a portion of a day, but it could potentially save you a lot of money or your life. And that's just another way Mr. Electric has the power to make your life better. You are listening to Boxcar Universe right here in the beautiful Boxcar Universe studios. And before we uh, continue with our discussion with Sean from Mr. Electric, you know, I want to uh, send prayers and wishes out to all the people affected for the uh, container derailment in Ohio, people that got displaced from their homes because of this toxic chemicals that are in the containers that have you know, people are are displaced from their homes. They don't know whether, when, even though they're told that they can go back. Um, I haven't seen at this point, I haven't seen anything to definitively say that the whole area is safe. I mean, they say people can go back, Mel, but, you know, they say make sure you bring, bring bottled, drink bottled water. So it's like, is it really safe or isn't it really safe? That's you know? scary. They're telling yeah. you to drink the water, but what about bathing? Yeah. What about bathing? I mean, you don't, you just don't know. And I, I think along with the, uh, some of the lack of communication, I think that's what generates a lot of fear right. in what people are thinking. Like, well, what am I going to do? I mean, you, you just, you just don't know. And then you also hear that, well, you know, the lack of maintenance on these and these, you know, uh, container cars are, um, you know, are like non-existent. They're not the maintenance isn't done regularly on them. So it's like thinking about it's almost like a no-brain. You've got a mechanical object, okay? I mean, Sean, if you didn't do regular maintenance on your fleet of vehicles, what would what what would you think if something went wrong? Um, you know, even with maintenance, regular maintenance, I know something still goes wrong. Yeah. But, but without, yeah, but without maintenance, I mean, you'd think, oh my God, how could they, and they run these things cross country at the speeds that you see these long, like, like on our boxcar universe website that on top, when we say your future container home is coming this way. I mean, you take a look at how long that train is. And I didn't even film that thing to the entire end of the train. 
I mean, there are a lot of vehicles on you think about the the miles that those things go across country multiple times and lack of maintenance. It, it's amazing that bad things didn't happen even before this. So I want to just want to send our mention that and send our prayers out to everybody who's been displaced over there. And, uh, we hope that you're all safe and in house because, uh, it is a, it is a bad thing. And we hope, uh, the government, you know, steps in and does what they need to do and, and gets this thing cleaned up and are those people back to their homes. Cause it is, it is something serious. And I believe they said that the, um, this morning that the EPA administrative person is on its way. is going to be there either, uh, you know, it has either been there yesterday or tomorrow. So it's, it's, if they're finally going to get out there. So I'm hopefully they're get their act together. Cause I think they should have been out there before now because it's been several days, but, um, yeah, I'm looking here. It doesn't say, uh, what the cause was. Yeah. So hmm. bottom line is it's an ugly situation when you see that, see that way those trains you know, just have derailed and the smoke and the flume and, and everything else and those toxic chemicals are just going up in flames. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, your electric vehicle and, you know, thinking about it, you know, we, as I said, we talked a lot about Tesla's, but you know, you've got Ford, they're investing in building, you know, electric vehicles. You see, um, you know, uh, I believe it's Hyundai has one, um, General Motors, you know, is dealing with it, doing some as well. So it's not just Tesla, but on the other hand, Sean, now with the way those are all built, you know, depending on if it's Tesla or not, doesn't make any difference. The, the hookup to a charging station is, is it all the same? Um, they are fairly all the same. However, Tesla likes to be a little uh, um, proprietary, and so the sh you know while while I can drive up to any any Tesla um, charging station and plug in with no problem, um, the guys that don't have a Tesla aren't able to use that. The, the, the plug is different, right? And so if I go to a non-Tesla charging station, I have an adapter that I can stick on the end of the the, the charging cable. To allow me to use, you know, the you know the non-Tesla chargers. It's kind of kind of funny, um, and they have a, a couple of variants too. When we're talking about um, the, the highest level of charging, you know, these DC fast chargers are called level three chargers, and, and uh, they can charge a vehicle like mine in about 20 minutes. It's it's an insane amount of power. They usually have their own transformer from the power company to run these things, and they have a, a little proprietary. Um, um, and that allows the car to receive that. And again, I have to I have to get an adapter if I want to use a non-Tesla fast charger. So it's interesting how it works. You think that they would, you know, it used to be when it first came out that it was all common, but Tesla kind of said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna make ours a little proprietary. So hopefully they change that running down the road. But I think it's a, uh, you know, I think in the grand you know scheme of everybody having an electric vehicle, sure it'd be nice to have some unification there. Yeah, that's, it would make sense, you know, to be yeah. able to have, yeah. if, if you're changing that way in the way that you, you know, build vehicles, I mean, they should all have, I mean, would you think, for instance, if it was a Ford, Chevy or, or Chrysler product, that they would have uh, different access to put, you know, go get your fuel, to go buy gas, where the, where the port to put 
the spout in would be different. I mean, it just seems like, you know, Tesla's got a little testy little play on words there um when it said like want to get well let's get proprietary yeah i'm sure that'll happen going down the road because as, as more electric vehicles you know they could become more you know proliferate and and um, and every, you know that's definitely the wave of the future i mean the the internal combustion engine for passenger vehicles i think is you know has a a, a lifespan i think we're seeing coming towards the end of it yeah well you know on the other hand too it's it, from from the other thing too is you think about you know electric vehicles and I'm sure they're always constantly trying to improve on battery life. Uh, when you think about see these huge you know tractors for eighteen wheelers that they say oh yeah we have they run on electric now and I'm thinking about the stuff that I used to haul years and years ago I'm like thinking. Really? <laughs> how is how is an electric how is an electric you know uh, tractor good at pull forty fifty thousand pounds of of freight and how long can it go for? I mean, my God, I can imagine what those what those even if you can you know go some kind of distance that those charging stations got to be if they're going to put those cross country. Can you imagine doing doing that? I mean, I just I just don't think the technology is there yet for from a, from a commercial application. Well, uh, a lot of commercial like delivery services and and you know companies like that, you know, they're definitely investing in electric vehicle um, inventory for sure. And I think it's a great place to, to start it. What, what better way than a than a vehicle that's continuously on the road, you know, to test that technology? So, yeah, uh, we can only go up from here. I yeah, well, yeah. Well, it, it's like everything else. You know, we didn't we didn't go to Mars in in one day as yeah. they say it's going to take a lot of time trial and error and we're going to be able to do that so um in your in situation okay talking about the the charging station um do you when somebody calls you to actually do that um what kind of consultation do you do with them that's a great question and so the biggest concern that we have is um you know, what, you know, what, what, how much do they have to charge? What kind of vehicle do they get? You know, the, all, all the newer vehicles have a very, very long range. And that's the, that's the, the big sales point now. Like, you know, it used to be like if I had a Nissan Leaf, it was maybe like 80 miles of range and you can actually, you know, run a level one charger, which plugs into a normal 120 volt outlet. And uh, now they got these large batteries, you know, like mine and the, and the, and the Ford's coming out and stuff like that. The uh, you know the amount of power required to charge this thing brings us into what we call a level two range, which is 240 volts, typically 32 amps and above. So um, some people aren't aware that they think they, should, they can just plug these things in, or they can. You know, we even have requests for DC fast chargers at homes, and it's just not physically possible. The infrastructure is not there. Um, but the common one is the level two charger, and when we consult for those, one of the first things we do is what's called a load calculation, and we determine, you know. The same the same um, formulas that you know engineers use to determine the size of the of the um, electrical box on the house is the same is the same system that we use to determine whether we can add this additional um, this additional power requirement to it. And a lot of times we find that the customer's panel just isn't big enough, especially on the larger homes. You got two or three air conditioners and and uh, you know no natural gas. Um, sometimes it's a challenge to be able to you know, to get these things in. And so they're definitely looking at a panel upgrade from 200 amps to, to 400 amps. The unfortunate side effect of that is, you know, there's, there's a cost to that. Sure. Know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's got to, got to run probably 
probably three, four, maybe even five thousand dollars for a type panel upgrade like that, right? Yeah, easily from from a two hundred to four hundred. It's that's that'd be the minimum cost. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you know, those are things. Again, those are things that people need to take into consideration. You know, um, you know, and if they are going to be doing more things on their home, those are things like if you're going to add a pool, maybe or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, two to four hundred. I mean, I know when. Um, and when I built my home, when I was married, we put a 400 amp service on the house from, from day one, because we had a, an 1800 square foot detached garage that had, you know, all kinds of units and stuff like that. And, and a 3000 square foot house. And we were just like, well, we didn't know what else we, we might add in the future. And as long as we were building yeah. it from scratch, yeah. that's the best time to do it. Yeah. And the, uh, the other thing too, is sometimes we go into homes where they have two electric vehicles, you got his and hers, you know, and, yes. and it's like, well, I need a charger for both of these. And, I have wow, a customer like that. One. And so, you know, we, we've, we've actually devised, um, ways with using, uh, using smart, uh, technology to be able to, um, relay between the two and also manufacturers like Tesla, uh, and, uh, a couple other ones, juice box, I think, um, now allow power sharing. So you can actually tie two uh, electric vehicle charging stations together on the same circuit, and then they'll manage between the two um, the appropriate amount of power so you don't overload the circuit. That's pretty cool. I have a, I have yeah. a, I have a customer I did a remodel for years ago that actually it, it did exactly what you said. They had matching Teslas, Mel. One was, one was a four-door, one was a two-door. Huh. One was white, one was black. Love it. It was great. <laughs> and and I believe the wife had the two-door. And when it had to go in for service or something, or I had a recall on something, she hated driving the four-door. And it was like amazing. I'm like, okay, I how can, much I different can, can it be? How it's, different can that be? It's a big difference. I mean, listen, we, you know, have BMWs and I love my cars, but I'll tell you, I was used to driving my three series and even had the hardtop convertible there. And I just love how small it was and zipping in and out of where I need to go. And then you jump up to a bigger five series and it just kind of feels like a boat. (laughs) I know it's not a seven or whatever. I mean, I get that and it's not the SUV, but it just, it feels bigger. And so I just, I don't know. I like the smaller cars, but you know, I was, a I grew up Riding a or driving a little Volkswagen a V-Dub, you know, as a teenager, and I just loved my little tiny bug. So it was great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the joys of growing old, but you have some great things that you can enjoy and appreciate as you get older. And I think that's that that's I think says a lot about growing old i really do there's no as they say there's no substitute for experience but uh sean tell our listeners uh how they could contact you and if they are seriously considering getting an ev and uh obviously the other things that we've mentioned and i'm sure there's some other stuff that we haven't touched on but they can contact you and you can actually give them that uh, great consultation they can absolutely. Um, uh, for anyone that, that still has, um, still likes to use uh, telephones, um, we can reach us at 480-503-2426. You can find us on the web almost just by searching Mr. Electric. Um, we'll come up, and that website is www.mrelectric.com. Right, and also there is a section in there. If you if you scroll down, and if you are, you know, uh, uh, data intelligent, as they say. 
uh, going forward. And uh, you could find there is a section on there that has information on Mr. Electric's website about EV charging stations and things like that. So you can kind of get up to speed and have a discussion with Sean and he can come out and uh, take a look at your problem, you know, your, your issue with your, with your new car and um, give you a quote. Steve, thank you. All right, Sean. Thanks, thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate you. Have a great day. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Boxcar Universe. We are your source for cutting-edge information on container homes and container pools. Let Mel and I design and build your dream container home. Don't forget, you can always email us at boxcarliving at gmail.com and steve at boxcaruniverse.com. Boxcar Universe can be heard weekly on any podcast player. And always remember, let us containerize your lifestyle. All right. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Leanne Uckel from uh, the uh, SRP, our uh, utility company here in the Valley of the Sun. She's a senior water planning analyst. We're going to be talking about some of the conservation uh, water that SRP is involved in, as well as their event coming up on March 4th. And if you were interested in taking a look at maybe having a container home in your future, let Mel and I uh, design and build your next dream container home. And I remind all of our listeners that you could contact us at boxcarliving at gmail.com and steve at boxcaruniverse.com. And Boxcar Universe can be uh, heard on any podcast player on the planet. And as always, remember, let us containerize your lifestyle. Have a great week.